0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're
1: listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara.
2: Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk. For Wednesday, May the 8th, I'm your host, D.A. The Toronto Raptors laid the hammer on the Philadelphia 76ers in Game 5 last night. An easy blowout, roll win by more than 30 points, and now the Sixers are on thin ice. They're down three games to two. They are going back to Philadelphia for Game Number 6. But with the lethargic, lifeless, uninspired play over the last two games, does anybody believe this 76ers team has what it takes to get off the mat? Or are they just too immature and not ready to take on the Raptors in this spot? And what has happened since they took that 2-1 series lead with a dominant game number three? Those in Philadelphia are peed we begin with our friend Angelo Cataldi on the morning show on WIP in Philadelphia. Joel Embiid getting roasted.
1: Everybody put a helmet on. It's going to get ugly around here today. What a stink bomb in Toronto, Al. Mm-hmm. Al, a human stink bomb north of the border. Yeah, it was it, as bad as it gets. It was bad. And let me just say, I just want to start with this because this is like a profound comment profound. to start. This is profound. See, when I lose by 36 outs, not like when I lost by three. Mm-hmm. I don't get like all depressed. No? I get angry and 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 crazed. I'm crazed this morning. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in medical history, I can now tell you, I will diagnose that the common cold being suffered by Joel Embiid, appears to be terminal. Oh, God. It is the first time our season died because a guy sneezed. Mm, I don't know. If <laughs> all right. Joel sneezed on Sunday and our season was over. Hmm. 6.32 in the si- morning. What's that? At 6.32 in the morning, Al, he sneezed and all of a sudden we can't win anymore. Hmm. What a train wreck. John Johnson is in the house. (laughs) John, say hello to everybody. Hello, John, unlike me, Al, John takes these things hard. Yeah. I feel an energy of anger. I'm fueled by frustration and anger, and I plan to vent it at a whole bunch of people today. But I'm going to start a little different now. Okay. Because this is what I need. This is what I need after Joel Embiid shows up And gives me nothing. This is five games. How many games does he give me anything, Rhea? One. One game. Game three. The other four games, nothing. (laughs) This is the guy I sacrificed four years of my dwindling years of life. Most Uh, unstoppable force in the NBA. (laughs) The process, Rhea, all these years so I could get a player like Joel Embiid. And he is a phenomenal talent. But guess what? It doesn't matter if you got million dollar talent and a ten cent brain. And what I'm seeing right now is a guy with a small brain and a tinier heart. Give me something. And 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 here's how I'm going to start it out. Mm-hmm. Brett Brown. Hmm. Brett Brown is an, what he is is an enabler. You, you know, understand? An When you got people like Ben Simmons, a yeah. very close family friend who's giving you zip, nothing who can't hit a shot from one foot. Al, I think he's got it now. You know, he's only shooting from in the paint. Yeah. I think now he c- should only shoot dunks because anything else he has no oh, touch layups for. he right. can't even get right. in. No, he he doesn't can't even, even shoot a layup. No, he doesn't, he doesn't even, even no. dunk anymore. He can't even. He doesn't dunk? No. no. Then he is of no value to me. Zero. Mm-hmm. No value to me. But, but here's the thing. Brett Brown out. Does a testimonial to all to to Embiid in this moment? Now in this moment, the the critics are lining up. He's getting skewered this morning. Oh. Embiid is getting. You know what? Let me tell you why he's getting skewered. It isn't even what he did on the on the court. Mm-hmm. It's when he walked into the building. Oh yeah. my god! Rhea, could they... you please describe when he walked into the building? I, I wish I could show you a video of how I did it you this morning. The minute I saw footage of him walking yep. into that stadium, I said yep. they are cooked and done. He walked in, shuffling his feet. Oh, what was? And I'm going, no, no, no! You're either going to gut it out yep. or you're not. No, he shouldn't, they shouldn't have played him. Da, 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 da. He's like he's walking to the gallows. That's exactly what it looked like, right? And, and he's like, all right, I'm playing, but I got nothing. I want you to know, uh, I'm here, uh, but I'm horrible. So what do you, Johnson? What's the one thing this city doesn't need after a thirty-six? Point ass kicking. And that's the term used by Jimmy Butler mm-hmm. for it. All yeah. right? 36 points. Do I need the coach coming out telling me that the critics of Embiid are, are not fair? No, you don't need to hear that at all. Well, that's exactly what you're going to hear. They have declared a terminal illness for
2: Joel Embiid's flu. <laughs> Classic Philadelphia Embiid has been so bad the last two games. And how long does the flu last for? But also it really is emotionally dragging him down and dragging the team down. And that's what everybody senses right now that Embiid's quote unquote flu illness, whatever this is, has just been an anchor around his neck and the rest of his teams and the Philadelphia 76ers are a loss away from getting eliminated from the playoffs. So the Golden State Warriors will have a chance to get back up on top of this series against the Rockets tonight. They're back at home at Oracle Arena in game number five, but Houston went back home and got two at home at the Toyota Center in Houston, and now people are wondering, well, are the Warriors in for a fight of their lives here? Remember, last season... The Houston Rockets brought them all the way to a game number seven after holding a 3-2 series lead. It's been five long postseasons for the Golden State Warriors, the previous four ending in the NBA Finals. So is it possible what we're seeing is a Golden State team that's gassed? Here's the Greg Papa Show on 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. They were joined by Hall of Famer and Warriors legend Rick
0: Barry. Are we seeing a little fatigue not just physically but at times mentally because you're asking the Warriors to do something in the playoffs, Rick, they were not conditioned to do in the regular season?
3: I, I, only the guys can answer that question then, as to whether or not they feel as though they've been uh, you know, playing too much and it's been a problem for them. I, I I can't answer that for those guys. I mean, to me, it didn't matter how much I wanted to play. You know, I just say I wanted to play. I, you're in shape. I mean, my God, come on. You're a young man. You, you should be in shape. You should be able to play 48 minutes. You should be able to do it. And you learn. Okay, so here's the deal. So I'm going to play a lot of minutes. So what do I do? I get a rebound, I throw it out, and I stay back. So I don't run down the court and see what happens. If don't get a fast break and stuff, I'm moseying down the court. It's the way I get the rest. You don't ever rest on defense. You're always playing your best and hardest on defense. And you find ways to get your rest if you're out there on the court. You just have to be smart.
0: Yeah, Bill Russell would do that a lot. Uh, he wouldn't go in the offensive end. He'd throw the outlet and then just wait. All right, so g- give me your thoughts uh, on the first two games, the last two games, and where we're at right now. This series is tied at 2-2.
3: Well, why is everybody making such a big deal about what's happening? You know, both teams have done what they're supposed to do, winning home. The Rockets blew a chance to win a game in, at, at Golden State. They they played like garbage. They turned the ball over. They gave up tons of offensive rebounds, had a chance to, to win a game there, and they didn't do it. So the Warriors are very fortunate. The Warriors have not played a good basketball game yet. They have not played a good Warriors basketball game in four games, in their two and they're two 2-2 with a three-game series and two of the games at home. Do I really expect that Steph and Clay are going to continue to the woes that they have with shooting the basketball? Absolutely not. And so I look at it, hey, you went down to Houston. You didn't have a good – you had Draymond play exceptionally well with his triple-double, and, and, and KD's been the most consistent guy, obviously. And then they had to go to overtime to beat you in one game and you got down to a situation where you had two three-point shots by two of your best shooters that didn't go in that would have tied the game, how can you be that upset and you didn't play well?
1: Seriously. The Hall of Famer Rick Barry here
2: on the Afternoon Delight. Now the Splash Brothers haven't been splashing in three-pointers in this series, especially Klay Thompson. What do you think Kerr, what type of adjustments should Kerr make to get him more easier shots? And then what's going on with Klay Thompson on the defensive end of the court?
3: Well, what has to happen is that they have to go back to playing Warrior's brand of basketball and play smart, move, pass, cut, get the easy shots, get the opportunities that they normally get. What They actually they have not played good basketball for any really super extended period of time in any of these four games. In little spurts, they've done it. And, and just go back to playing the way that you're capable of playing. Now, what's hurt them some is that, you know, obviously Steve is – is not relying on his bench all that much, and so the guys have to play more minutes. I don't think that should be a major factor. I mean, you've got your better players on the floor. Shouldn't be a factor at all. And I'm not overly concerned. I'll be really concerned if tomorrow night they don't win the basketball game. If they don't win the game tomorrow, then you've got some major concerns, and let's see how they play, and if they do lose, how they lose. So uh, right now I'm not overly concerned. Uh, I think, if anything, the odds are in the favorites. The Warriors are going to come out and play a good basketball game because they certainly haven't done it yet.
0: Do you enjoy watching the way the Rockets play offensive basketball, where it's just a screen and a switch and a lot of isolation for James Harden to dribble, drive, and try to break you down? No,
3: not at all. However, if I, I tell people, I said, you know, Harden's amazing offensive machine, no question about it. But if I if I were playing with the Rockets and Harden was my teammate. What I would do is I would do what you know. Well, I you know, one my my young son Canyon does it well, and my other son John did it incredibly well. I, I and I did it. You move without the ball, you get yourself open because Harden will give you the ball if you get yourself open. But everybody kind of stands around and watches and just hopes to get the ball thrown out though maybe to pop up a three point shot. But it's not fun basketball. I don't enjoy watching it.
2: I think it's possible that the Warriors, after all of these long post-seasons, are finally having a catch-up to them. I mean, just look at Steph Curry's injuries, dinging him up and the dislocated finger. There are just a lot of little things that can add up to big things after all of these elongated, prolonged, really intense and emotionally draining postseasons. So that's a lot of extra games to play. But really, more than that, it's this matchup against the Rockets. Houston is the one team in the NBA that does not fear Golden State. Now, maybe LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers didn't either, but they just weren't healthy enough or deep enough to really be able to take on the Warriors. Houston is, and so that's the part that should be scary for the Warriors. It's not just that maybe they're taxed. It's also that they're staring in the face a team that absolutely believes it's every bit As good as Golden State and deserve to win last year. The Boston Celtics are on the mat as well. They're down three games to one of the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Bucks have a chance to end this thing at home in game number five. Brian Scalabrini is a former Boston Celtic himself. Now he's a basketball analyst for Radio.com. He joined Wichita's KFH Sports Daily with Bruce Hartle and Shane Dennis and tried to dissect what exactly has gone wrong for the Celtics in the postseason.
0: Well, kind of chemistry issues, if any, because I know there are fewer shots to go around with Hayward and, and Kyrie out there, especially when Kyrie made a comment after, the game, after game four that he probably should have shot 30 times. But how have those uh, three guys kind of suffered a little bit with Boston, and how's the chemistry, do you think, with Kyrie on the floor?
4: So Jalen Brown has been really good. If you look at the playoffs, and he's shooting 61%, and he's been great. Um, Jason Tatum, he's a guy that needs the ball in his hands. And so I, I don't know how familiar you guys are with guys who are on-ball players and guys who are off-ball players. Like, And off-ball players don't necessarily need a role player. Like Clay Thompson is kind of an off-ball mm-hmm. player. So right. Jalen Brown has been great. Like he drives closeouts, he makes quick decisions, he shoots the ball – and but none of these plays are ran for him even though he's playing really good like jason tatum he needs plays ran for him so for brad Stevens, he does get a few of his numbers called like hey we're going to run this play out of timeout or this plays for tatum we need a bucket but most of the time it's going to be ran for Tyree. most of the time it's going to be ran Kyrie, al horford pick and pop and even gordon hayward is going to get those looks so if tatum frustrated by that you know i'm not really sure because i'm not there every single day but In a normal world of progression, like the Boston Celtics, love the fact that Jason Tatum got the opportunity last year with these guys out to be the man and grow as a player. No question about it, they like that. But there's also something to be said about appropriate growth. Like, he got put in that position, but what would have been really good is for him to grow at a gradual rate under Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving last year, but it didn't happen. He got thrown in the fire and he delivered. So it raised expectations, and it sort of moved the goalposts as, you know, like what we do in the radio. Mm-hmm. Business. We always keep changing the expectations. Well, living up to what he did last year with these guys coming back, I mean, no one could think that he's now going to turn into Kevin Durant. He doesn't have enough of a body of work to do it. The success he had as a rookie was unbelievable. Like you could, you could say he had a better rookie year than Kevin Durant because, he was doing this in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, he hit a three and then he turned a corner, and dunked on LeBron, and that was in the fourth quarter <laughs> to, as, in a game to go to the NBA Finals, but it's unreal to think you're going to take that next step it's because you have Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward coming back. Now, does that cause chemistry issues? Maybe it does. You know, maybe that's hard for a player to handle. Everyone wants to be the best player they can be. Everyone wants to be an all-star. Players want to be all NBA. Players want to make as much money as possible, but it's not realistic for a guy to grow like that. And I would even say, even if all the time, like if Kevin Durant came to this team, you know, maybe he would even have to make a little bit of sacrifices. Obviously, he'd still be the best player on the team, but he would make sacrifices then, what you're seeing right now with Golden State, where they just pretty much give him the ball, and he goes to work. I mean, we have a lot of different guys that have to have the ball in their hands. So I, I think the guy who's handled it the best all year long is Jalen Brown. The guy who's been hurt by it the most has been Jason Tatum.
0: How do you think his team looks next year? Obviously, the elephant in the room is Kyrie Irving. Everybody wants to know what he's going to do. Is he going to opt out? But Al Horford's a free agent too. What do the Celtics look like next year, Brian?
4: It's, you know, it's a great question, and a lot of us aren't even talking about the Al Horford thing. But uh, you know, Kyrie, it's a real it's a real issue, right? Is he going to come back? Is he not? I think there's a lot of factors to that. I, you know, like if the Bucks win tonight and they go out, it obviously. It's, not, it doesn't bode well for him returning. But I also think you got to watch and see what Kevin Durant does. Kevin Durant is also a free agent. I, I hear from pretty reliable sources that these guys are pretty close, mm. and I think that they would love to team up and, and play together. So it'll be interesting to see what happens then. But uh, you know, I, my, my best guess is I have really no idea what Kyrie's going to do, and I don't think he even knows what mm. he's going to do. He might have an idea. I saw today that in Vegas the Nets, become the leader and then the Knicks are second if you were gonna put money down. So that would be surprising. Mm. And I would say this. He ain't going there by himself. Yeah. I can I I know that. I you know, I might not know where he's gonna end up or what he's gonna do, but I don't think he's going to the New York Knicks just all by himself with uh whether it's Zion Williamson or anybody. Can't Kyrie making that move by himself. But one thing about Kyrie is we've learned this year, you never know what he's thinking. (laughs)
2: The Celtics were never right throughout the regular season. And now we're finally seeing this happen again. That ultimately they've gone as Kyrie Irving has gone. And since he's had three really bad games in a row in the playoffs against Milwaukee and the Bucks have knocked down their shots, guess what? That equals Celtics' losses. But also because they've been so reliant on Kyrie during the regular season, there's been so many ups and downs, and because there's been a lot of depth to the talent of the roster. They have never truly developed consistency in their roles and adjusting to more talent this year since guys were healthy. And we're seeing the effects of that in the series against Milwaukee. Dak Prescott of the football field in negotiations with the Dallas Cowboys. His, His rookie contract is coming to an end. The Cowboys want to lock him up long term. But is Dak worth $30 million a year? That's elite quarterback money. That's the type of money that you could ask for when you're Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Drew Brees, not when you're Dak Prescott. But can the Cowboys afford not to pay him? Tis the question. Here's former NFL head coach John Fox, who joined the guys in Charlotte on WFNZ, and whether quarterbacks can be overpaid. Knowing that you are a defensive coach as well, can a quarterback be overpaid?
5: You know, look, those no. You know, I used to tell guys all the time. I mean, you know, is is we're all overpaid. I mean, we're doing a we're playing a game we love. Most of us been involved with it since we were youngsters. Um, you know, if somebody would have ever told any anybody uh, a player or a coach that you'd be making the kind of money you're 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 making to to do something you love. Uh, you know, you'd almost laugh at them. But um, you know, really, when you get down to it. Uh, you know, I think everybody's overpaid, but it's what the market bears and uh what better way to go out and earn a living than you know, play the game you love.
4: Do you think the
2: NFL would be better off if they found a way to have to, to maybe not see every quarterback get that second contract where Matt Stafford's getting paid twenty six million dollars a year or Andy Dalton's getting paid twenty million dollars
1: a year?
5: Well, I think the fact that uh, it's fairly common knowledge you know in the sport that uh, the quarterback position is the most critical so like any position whether it's the CEO of a major company or uh, you know the usually the guys at the top uh, you know get paid the most and you know I think it's uh, you know the, the great thing you know about uh, our capitalist uh You know, democracy, you know, is, is, you know, you're going to kind of attack what the market will bear. And uh, um, if it wasn't quarterback, it'd be another position.
0: Coach, uh, I got a really important question for you here. Um, According to Google, you are six foot four, but according to the website, marriedbiography.com, you're five foot 10. I need to know the truth.
5: Uh, I'm exactly six foot and seven eighths. Uh, And I remember that from my combine measurement, where they put a six four on your head and actually make you slump. Uh, but I'm definitely not six four. And I'm definitely not six ten.
2: Who is on Wikipedia putting the wrong height of head coaches from the yeah. NFL? Yeah, it, it I, also says you're three oh four. <laughs> I didn't want to ask, uh, but are, are you th- are you to, are you three oh four?
5: Are you three bills? No, no, no. I'm actually 180 pounds. Okay. I saw you last week and I was like,
2: <laughs> I don't know where he's hiding it, but 304 seems like a little, little high. So we're going to have to get, with I don't know. I guess I'll call Google. I don't know who the, the yeah. CEO of Google is anymore, but well, we're going to get to the fence. very top. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Coach also want to ask you the XFL starting up. We just had the AF itself, which failed. Uh, I, I need more John Fox in my life. Is there a chance you would be open to maybe a spring league or a secondary league?
5: You know, right now I'm uh, you know, I'm basically on a committee uh, working with Oliver Luck, with the XFL, and uh, Jim Caldwell, and uh, uh, Doug Flutie and I were met with them uh, a year ago, actually, uh, you know, when the AAF was starting up and uh, the XFL was just kind of, you know, trying to figure it out, uh, kind of what they wanted to do with their rules, what they wanted to do with the game itself. And uh, so I've actually been involved a little bit with, uh, uh, you know, talking to Oliver, on, uh, you know, about personnel, whether it's in coaching or players. And uh, Right now, I'm kind of content. Uh, it, gives, it gives me my little football fix uh, without having it every day. If you're the Cowboys, you don't
2: want to have to do this because you've got to implore Dak to understand, hey, You're not Aaron Rodgers. You're not Drew Brees or Brady. You don't automatically make everybody around you better. We need an offensive line. We need Ezekiel Elliott. We need Amari Cooper. We need defensive pieces because if we don't have that, this team's not going to win. And if Dak is smart, he's not going to take every last cent. The issue is the Cowboys are poor negotiators in this sense. Jerry Jones loves himself some Dak. He loves himself his own players, and he usually overpays for those guys. But then also, Dak Prescott is a quarterback. He's a solution. You need a solution to quarterback. You can't afford to let that guy hit the street. So ultimately, if you can convince Dak that it's not worth getting every last cent, that's a great thing. Eventually, you've just got to pay him what he's going to end up agreeing to because you can't afford not to pay him. On the ice, a Game 7 goes to double overtime last night. Western Conference semifinals and the St. Louis Blues survive and advance. They head into the Western Conference final by knocking off the Dallas Stars. Just how did the Blues go from last place in January to one step away from the Stanley Cup final? Here's Blues Hall of Famer Bernie Federko on the Charlie Brennan Show on News Radio 1120 KMOX in St. Louis. I think your favorite color is now maroon.
6: <laughs> it was quite it was quite the moment for for Pat Maroon, it really was. I mean, uh, what he's gone through this year, especially signing with the Blues and hoping to have a great year. Well, the regular season didn't go that great and uh, he was a healthy scratch a couple of times, but uh, he has persevered, persevered through this like the rest of this team has and uh, what a moment for him last night.
2: What, what but you know both teams had a great series. Got to acknowledge that. And didn't both teams really struggle for like the first three, four months of the season?
6: Yeah, they did. Both those teams, uh, both the Blues and Dallas, were kind of uh, picked to be right in the, in the hunt in the middle of the Central Division. Uh, both mostly, uh, again, from what the experts, I guess, would call uh, greatly improved from the year before. So uh, I think the key, for obviously, for Dallas is, is the been with play of Ben Bishop. And obviously, there was some... Uh, problems that they had early the management came out and criticized their top players Dan and Sagan and uh, once those guys got rolling the Dallas started playing well and same situation happened here with the Blues when you saw the opening night roster you thought this team was going to be a, a very very good hockey club much better than last year but uh, they struggled for the first three months put it all together and I think it was almost fitting that uh, the Dallas Stars and the Blues played in the second round and and,
2: and two I think first year coaches correct
6: Yes, yeah, Baruby taking over in the middle of the year, and Jim Montgomery uh, coming out of college and uh, getting the chance to to, to coach the Stars uh, for the first year. So, uh, it, yeah, there. I mean, it's a lot of similarities similarities between the two teams, and uh, you know what a series it was, uh, Charlie. I can't I can't put into words how exciting it was because uh, these teams battled hard. I mean, the Blues last night were a much much better team. I mean, they were the team with the pressure. Uh, they they had on their mind what they had to do, and they stuck with their game plan. They stayed patient when the puck was not going in the net, and they finally found a way to win. And I think we can say that all season, that while the last half of the season, the Blues have found a way to win. And I think that's what kind of makes everybody so excited going forward still.
3: Not one,
2: not two, but three overtime game winners in game sevens. This year already through two rounds of the NHL playoffs, you have to love the drama. Is there anything as heart-stopping, as heart in your throat, as guts pouring out of the floor as NHL playoff hockey? Because you know, one shift up the ice with that shot, you lose, you go home. Or one shift up the ice and you make a quick save... And then, boom, you survive and advance and move on. Those are the types of things that just make the hockey playoffs so mesmerizing. And Game 7s in overtime, even that much more. Finally, in baseball, the New York Yankees have had a historic rash of injuries. And yet, when you look up, they're above five hundred and have made it out of a potentially devastating situation in April and early May. They're sitting okay. How have they done it? Here's Tom Verducci, longtime Sports Illustrated baseball writer on WFAN in New York with CMB. How are the Yankees 20-14 and right now?
0: (laughs) Listen, I give them all the credit in the world, and Aaron Boone especially, because I don't think they've ever offered up excuses or looked for them. But I will tell you this. It's partly a function of what the American League is this year, right? Let's face it, there's a lot of teams that just aren't very good in the American League. The Yankees have a great run differential winning record. They have beaten three winning teams all year. And this is what happens. I mean, you'll see teams, and the Red Sox are entering one now. You know, you get these stretches where you're just seeing one weak team after another in the American League. And again, I don't want to take anything away from them because they're they're playing the schedule. They're winning these games. But you can't do this in the National League. You know, very few times in the National League, can you look at a block of games and say, you know, hey, we can make some hay right here. This year in the American League, there's a lot of opportunities to throw up some wins quickly.
6: Tom, I'm glad you brought up the Red Sox for a second because I think we're going to start looking after Dallas Keuchel made some comments yesterday about how he doesn't want to sit out the entire year. If it does become sort of a, a race here to add talent, who do you think strikes first and more aggressively? Is it going to be the Red Sox or the Yankees?
0: Well, I do think in terms of Keuchel and Kimberl at this point, you're going to have to wait or should wait until after June 1st. Sure. After the draft passes, there's no more compensation there. These guys aren't ready to pitch in the big leagues for another month right now anyway, right? They're going to need a, a normal spring training even if you sign them today. Um so I think Kimbrel, especially will help someone a lot quicker than Keiko can, just being a relief pitcher, pitching one inning at a time. Um I'm looking at a team like the Washington Nationals. I know they're all beat up as beat up as the Yankees are, but their bullpen has probably been the worst in baseball. And he's a difference maker. And I like the idea of any contending team in June and July saying, you know, let's go out and get a, a relief pitcher, a proven closer and we don't have to give up any talent. That's the big hook here. It's just adjust. It's just money to sign them. Uh, Keuchel is a little bit differently. I don't think he's a good fit for the Yankees or the Red Sox because in both cases, I'm not in love with the defense on the left side of the field. If you sign Dallas Keuchel, you are committing to fielding ground balls behind him on the pull side to right-handed hitters, and the Yankees and Red Sox just don't fit that kind of category. I think he's a perfect fit for the Padres. I've said that all along with Ted beef and Machado on the left side. And that's a team that, you know, is a sneaky contender. It can help that keep them in the mix all year.
2: Give the Yankees credit, man. They have never made excuses. Next man up. They've had depth in their system and their locker room and their clubhouse. They've found ways to get it done despite all of the crazy injuries they've suffered. But Verducci's right. The American League, man, there's some bad teams, really bad teams, The Yankees have been able to take advantage of them. That will do it for us today on Around the Dial. The best in your sports talk. What's next around the corner in the NBA playoffs? We'll find out tomorrow. See you then.
1: Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on radio.com or the radio.com app.